This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. This podcast often contains controversial or mature topics. You have been warned. Hello, everyone. This is Abysme. I'm just going to let you know that this audio is from our interviews and experiences at Midsummer Scream, and it is very, very rough. I am still learning how to use this handheld recorder, so you're going to hear sometimes the volume goes out of whack and there's a lot of bumps and uh, just it's not the uh, same level of audio quality that we usually do, but I really do want to share this stuff with you. And uh, we have a really cool interview in here as well. So uh, thank you for um, your patience. Thank you for dealing with this. I promise that the uh, future interviews will not be of uh, this quality. So without further ado, our experiences at Midsummer Scream. Hello, everybody. This is Raygun Readers at Midsummer Scream. We have been here for about an hour and uh, so far loving it. We haven't seen a lot of science fiction horror combinations, but we did see one booth that we're going to later to hopefully get an interview. I'm not going to spoil it. We saw some awesome, awesome vintage, I suppose would be the word. Yeah, vintage classic sci-fi posters, which were, uh, I think we're going to pick up at least one. Uh, They were beautiful. We're actually here with David King of Midnight Marinera and Undercooked Analysis. Good evening, intrepid listeners. <laughs> What's your favorite thing so far that you've seen? Um, so far, I um, oh, it's hard to say. I was here last uh, yesterday actually helping Dead Palette and my co-host Dead Palette and Chelsea Comer they get set up at their, their table. And I've been kind of seeing everything sort of getting set up, which is very interesting. Um, the Hall of the Shadows looks really promising. I'm looking yeah. forward to doing that. Yeah. But I think one of my favorite things I've seen so far has to just be um, just the, some of the familiar faces. This is my second year coming, and uh, I you know walk around and I get in touch with people I know. I haven't really had a chance to see the floor as much as I'd like before uh, we ducked into this theater we're sitting in right now. So how old is Midsummer Scream? Uh, this is like I said, this is its second year. Okay. Uh, they are sort of an offshoot of another convention called Scare LA that was normally held in Pasadena around August. Um, they, the leadership kind of splintered and I think these guys have decided to go on and do their own convention. I mean, I don't, I, I kind of get a, I get a really good feel from, from this group, this particular yeah. convention. I've also been to Scare LA, don't want to say anything bad about them. They're a fantastic convention on their own, but I, I like the feel of Midsummer. This one is very intimate. Um, I've only been here for an hour and I already feel like I love it. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just really, everyone's really into what they're doing. Yes. And it shows. It's, definitely. it's also appropriately named Midsummer, and it's Midsummer. Exactly. Halloween comes early around here. It does. It does. Uh, we're actually waiting for the uh, a retrospective about the Tower of Terror. That's the uh, theater we're sitting in right now. And they've actually moved it to the Terrace Theater, which is this huge performing arts, uh, uh, performing arts theater that's... Um, um, adjacent to the Long Beach Convention Center. And yep. I gotta say, they've done an amazing job setting this up. It's pretty, it's very impressive. Um, what else? I think my favorite thing so far has just been the tons and tons of special effects artists here. There's a lot of really good makeup work. In makeup, prosthetics, props. Uh, there's a lot of virtual reality stuff I want to look into. I haven't, we haven't done the Hall of Shadows, the mini haunts yet, but I'm really looking forward to those. So I'd say more so if you're not, not just if you're into horror, but if you're into special effects. Yes. And um, uh, what is the word? Uh, real effects, I suppose. Yeah. For practical effects. Practical, practical effects. Practical effects yeah. or practical. Uh, 
human body effects. Yeah, no, it's the amount of makeup boosts I've seen where people just getting uh, marked up look like zombies and monsters has been awesome. The cosplaying, of course, is really cool. Um, I, it's it, it's a little overwhelming right now, but we'll have a better breakdown later. So yeah, thank you for listening, guys, and we will be back soon. All right, uh, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Daniel Sachs, and I am the owner-creator of Daf Mahina. Uh, it's a little bit of a pun. Uh, D-A-S are my initials, but it also spells the word Das. Um, and I know that's not grammatically correct to say Das Machina. Um, and Machina is uh, inspired by Due Ex Machina, which is the theatrical device of having a god descend at the end of a story to solve all the problems. And it's actually named after the stage machinery. And so it's sort of theatrical stage machinery, uh, and it's mine. <laughs> um, so I was inspired by, um, frankly, I was inspired by the original Universal Frankenstein movies. Um, and so the first two machines I built were reproductions, not, ac not absolutely screen accurate, um, but as close as I could get with the with vintage parts that I could find, um, and then uh, as I proceeded, I kept I, I would I started invoking more and more of my own style uh, based on the parts I found, based on research of various science fiction uh, movies and shows. I'm a huge horror science fiction buff. I grew up on. Frankenstein and the monster uh, scenes, the Aurora monster scenes, kids, and uh, um, so I—that's uh, how I started. Uh, I, I actually started. Um, I bought some props, and then I decided I paid too much for them, <laughs> and I started searching eBay for parts, and uh, so I just maintained uh, an eBay search. I. Uh, I, I haven't proven it, but I like to say I have the world's largest privately owned knife switch collection. <laughs> okay. Uh, I probably have 30 or 40 in my collection, um, various sizes, and then I also have insulators and all the other parts. I have is a lot of parts. Sorry, is it hard to find the parts that you need? Yes and no. I mean, some of these, like some of the... Uh, the white lightning parts that I have on some of my machines were, I, I can only find the two that I have. I haven't found others. Plasma globes are easy to come yeah. by. Lumen glass discs are pretty easy to come by. Um, vintage light bulbs are, are simple. The gauges, it varies. And sometimes it just, it's some, but there are some funky parts where it's just like, oh, that's a cool piece, and then I want it, and I get it. Yeah. But, uh, I notice you have a lot of uh, big like switches and knobs and stuff. Is it, is it hard to come by or some of them? I've, some of the actually some of the smaller ones I fashioned myself okay. to match the bigger ones, oh. um, and then some of the bigger gauges I made I actually made to match the smaller ones. But uh, uh, no, I just maintain searches on eBay uh. <laughs> and, and go to salvage yards when I can. How long does it usually take to complete a piece? 
Um, on average. On average, I would say it's a, a day to a day and a half drafting. Okay. Like actually sitting down at the computer and drawing the shapes. Um, and then, uh, excuse me a second. Uh, they just look cool. Oh, okay. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then uh, the cabinet making usually takes about a day. The paintwork takes like two days uh, because just drying time. Sure. Fill it, paint it, fill it. I mean, these all have three or four coats of primer and, and filler and then like two coats of color. Um, and then it's usually a day of installation of knobs and parts and then like a half a day to actually wire it up and get them all running. So each machine, you know, if I'm, if I have the free time, each machine takes a week. Okay. But reality is it's often you know on the weekends so you take that that five or six days and you spread it out so the month and a half take a month you know, yeah. month and a half but uh, um, I've gotten quicker <laughs> <laughs> at both drawing them and uh, building them how long have you been doing this <laughs> I actually started building them about ten years ago and then like five years ago um, my wife used to have a t-shirt business and uh, there were sort of dark images like her illustrations and uh, we got into Son of Monster Palooza and I was like, wow, if we're, and, and I, up until then, I'd only ever displayed them on Halloween. I said, well, if we're going to be at Son of Monster Palooza, we should put some machines in the booth to attract business. Sure. You know, it lights up and moves. And, you know, and Frankenstein themed, and so solely put them in the booth to attract business. And uh, I got approached by uh, Chet Czar, who is a brilliant dark artist uh, in his own right, uh, painter. Uh, used to be a makeup special effects uh, sculptor painter. Okay. Um, and he curates an annual show at GoPro Gallery at Bergamont Station called Join which is a dark art sculpture show. And he invited me to be in it. Wow. So I was in Conjoined, starting with, I think, Conjoined 3. Um, and I've just been at every... So, so every year I build at least one new machine <laughs> to be in that show. Uh, and then I've been in a few other art shows. My wife and I did an art show together where I displayed a lot of the machines. And, uh, yeah, so we... Uh, um, and then there was enough response that I decided to start having my own booth, uh, and that's when I built the, the walls. Yeah. So each piece is very unique. Are they inspired by a particular movie, or do they just come from your head? Well, the first two were uh, were inspired by uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the Universal Pictures from the '30s, uh, and then. Uh, some of the later ones are, there are a couple that are based on, uh, actually based on radios that I thought were cool looking. Alright. Uh, they're not actually made out of the radios, I actually built the cabinets based on the photographs. Um, and then that weird towery one is actually based on a lookout tower. Um, 
did uh, the Holland Tunnel in New York. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, it's Art for Art Deco. These ones with the recesses with the white uh, sort of beaker shaped uh, plasma lobes in them. That came from the beaker shape. It was like, well, I wanted to I wanted to use this piece of glass that I found with the, with the, with the uh, effect in it, but I didn't like the box that it was in. But I also knew that I needed to recess it to protect it from getting bumped into. So it started with that recess, and then I just, that one was completely out of my head. Just my own sort of, okay, let's do an angle here, bevel here, a little control panel. Um, so they vary. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm a set designer by trade. I'm a, a set designer, television art director, um, and uh, I was the set decorator on the second season of Babylon 5. Oh, wow. And so, and that was right before they went union, and the idea was they wanted a decorator who could sit down, if he, if he couldn't find it at a prop house, could sit down and draw it so the carpenters could build it. So I sort of had designed some science fiction props and uh, put clues together before. I also worked on uh, many years, a couple years before that, a time travel movie that I don't remember the title of, where I built the time machine, <laughs> um, which was also just they, they just gave me boxes of crap, you know, just to go parts, for it. <laughs> and just said, here, cover the front of this. Um, so I've done some of that. Uh, and most recently, I was—I helped out uh, the art department of uh, Orville, the Orville. I worked a few days for them, drawing just just some control panels inside the ships and stuff. But that was more regular set design work, where they gave me rough sketches and I went right. there. I wasn't wasn't me inventing stuff from old cloth like I do here. Wow. Now, are these? Are, do you make any pieces like by commission for sale, or is it just a work I, of love? I, 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 these I rent or sell. I am absolutely willing to make stuff by commission. Uh, I actually have a commission right over there. Uh, Silhouettes by Jordan. Jordan wrote a Shakespearean version of Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. And I made his Shakespearean proton pack oh, for his display right. to help promote the play. <laughs> so uh, I do do commissions. Excellent. Um, I can do steam. I can be more. You know, people think this is steampunk. It's not really. I wouldn't characterize it as. And, and no. I can do steampunk, and I have done some steampunk things. Um, and I may, I may just do a steampunk Frankenstein machine, so that when people say, "Oh, look at the steampunk stuff," I can go, <laughs> "That's steampunk. That's not." Know yeah. the difference. <laughs> but. Um, so you mentioned that you were inspired by the uh, 30s Universal uh, monsters, monsters. Uh, monster horror movies. Yeah. How do you feel about the uh, the new cinematic universe that's coming out? Any interest? Do you expect? I, I'm curious. I'm I, I am very interested. I you know the the they they I'm disappointed in. I, frankly, I didn't even see it. So maybe I'm talking out of school, but. <laughs> I'm disappointed in how Mummy movie looks. That it looks like it's just another action adventure. It doesn't look like it's has any suspense or mystery or magic to it. Yeah. 
Um, it doesn't look like it's as atmospheric as the original mummy. Um, I, I, so I'm a little concerned that they want a franchise like the comic book movies and they're going to try to make something that's like the comic book movies instead of embracing the horror. Um, and I'm more of a sort of gothic horror fan. I like, you know, fog and, and shadows and, and not, I'm not into blood and guts and, and I don't think I don't know that the mummy had that, but I do know it had big CG and helicopters yeah. and airplanes, explosions, and explosions everywhere. Well, and unfortunately, moving in that direction of CG takes away from set design and creating practical, practical machine machinery such as these. So. Practical machines and practical, you know, there's, there's there's always something to be said for practical feature effects too. Oh yes. Uh, it's just more visceral, more real. You'll get something out of it that the animator might not have thought of, yeah. or, or that you know doesn't know. It doesn't matter how perfect your physics math is, it's still going to look good. You know, you it know, won't be organic. You can't fool the human eye that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm a little concerned. I mean, I I, I wanted to like Van Helsing, and it's sort of a fun roller coaster ride. And that was their first attempt at rebooting. The yeah. movies. Yeah. The best thing that came out of that was they decided to re-release all the classics, re-digitally mastered as collections. So, you know, they were trying to promote Van Helsing by promoting the original older horror movies. Um, and I think they are releasing some of the older horror movies on Blu-ray now. Oh yeah. As, as I think they are, as as in hopes of rekindling. Um, you know, for the new, for the new stuff. So, at least it's keeping the old ones alive. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually more interested in the uh, Guillermo del Toro. I know he's not calling it Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. But it has a very Creature from the Black Lagoon feel to it. Um, I'm much more curious about that than I am about the, um, the other. Do you think it is possible this day and age and for modern audiences to kind of more faithfully recreate the originals, like focusing on atmosphere, focusing on characters and writing, or do you think audiences just wouldn't get it today? That's a really tricky question. I would say I think that um, a well-made movie is going to do well well-told story is going to do well. I mean, I, I, I don't know that, but they're expecting, you know, if you're trying to make a blockbuster, that's always tricky. Yeah. Um, I, I think it depends on who's doing it and how they're doing it. I, 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 Fair enough. I think one of the, a lot of the issues people have, and one I have, is um, it, it is Universal's IP, but it really feels like they just looked at it and went, oh, this is sitting in the vault, not making any money. Quick. Put together a cinematic universe because that's hot right now, right. and it's it's it is frustrating to see what could be done very well just kind of being done from a place of make me money and not let's make this you know fantastic piece that will influence generations. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, I'm gonna probably see Frankenstein just to see what they do with it. Oh, I will too. Yeah. I saw Victor Frankenstein. I think I've seen I've seen almost every Frankenstein ever made. Okay. Great. Um, there's one, there's one where, that I read about the other day where Carrie Fisher 
Shooter was the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and I have to look that one up. Yeah, and me find too, it. actually. That's. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm skeptical that it exists, but I, if it does, I gotta get a hold of it. <laughs> um, gotta see that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I've seen almost all of them, all the Hammer ones. Uh, the Andy Warhol one, uh, and, uh, and I let them all influence me when I can. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, where can uh, people find you in your work? Uh, the the web address is uh, das das dash machina m a c h i n a dot com, and uh, the um, uh, and then I, I also have a Facebook page, and um, I also I'm also on Instagram. Perfect. And uh, you, we can find all these links in the video description below. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for thank meeting you. with us. A little bit of a longer interview than I just <laughs> yeah. and I've never, I never know if I'm going to be well spoken or not. <laughs> yeah.